The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 39, A Scrap of Luck. the tinker of the gods? Jack asked, shaking his head as if to clear it. I know you explained the immortal branches of our family tree to me back at the flat, but I still really can't believe it. One prefers the title smith or craftsman as more reflective of one's skills and station, Diarmid affected a haughty tone, then winked. But yes, I'm the fixer for the ever-living. Every pantheon has one, whether saint or sinner, an artisan who makes and mends what's required. Hephaestus, Ilmarinen, all cultures have a crafter and shaper by some name or other. In Russia, there's also St. Boris, maker of the first plow, but the lad had to learn from someone. And like fixer implies, I clean up messes, keep the peace, and make deals where needed as well. And the deal you spoke to me about concerns my mother, Jack answered. Aye, lad, but since these gathered here with us are your family in this realm now, I think you better get them up to speed. Jack told Isabel and Lucas about the sudden death of his mother. Isabel took a while to respond, and Jack wondered if she was crying. Her replies were halting, and while she was hardly a chatterbox, she had never been at a loss for words until now. Lucas was silent at first as well. Then he exploded, She did this. Absolutely she did this. Of course she did, Diarmid replied calmly. And don't sit there cursing in Russian whatever you do. The log will be public. Remember, Lucas, thanks to the last draw of the Decameron, she's got your number and your next. Drink up and we'll talk more later. At that signal, they all ran Moot's invitation to sign out of the public area of the app and enter the Vale. Moot had prepared a comfortable room for them, private and well furnished, but with access to all the materials they might require. As they entered, Moot looked sympathetically at Jack, placing palms first together, then folding hands over its breast in a gesture of sympathy. Jack nodded in acknowledgement. It's complicated, but just as you are, Jack isn't who he seems to be, Diarmid went on, but I'll let him explain. Okay. The other week I found a little box in the archive that seemed to be meant for me, Jack said, showing the virtual copy to the others. I couldn't figure out the inscription, The Tinker's Dam. I thought it was a misprint. He turned to Lucas. Damn with an N is a curse or means to condemn something. I know, Lucas grinned. In any second language, you learn the bad words pretty much right after hello and where can I get a drink around here? Diarmid chuckled. Stand next to this one at the end of the world. He'll see you right. Anyways, Jack continued, 
Not giving a tinker's dam means you don't care about something, the tinker's dam implying a curse of no consequence. Dam without an N, which is how the inscription was spelled, is either a structure to change the flow of a moving body of water, or else it means mother when talking about things like sheep, or the female line among upper-class English of certain generations. They have all kinds of odd metaphors around family and breeding. Probably explains a lot, Lucas mused, raising an eyebrow as Diarmid and Isabel stifled a laugh. Jack shot them a, well, it's true, look, and continued, I couldn't puzzle it out. Then right after I told my tale, I had a phone call saying my mother had died. He trailed off and Isabel reached for his hand. We wondered where you went. We got scared. Disappearing suddenly isn't like you at all. I was trying to get my head around that, and I went for a walk along the shore, Jack said, hoping, I suppose, to find death spoiling for a fight. I found the hazelnut I'd carved for my mother, the little thing I showed you. I was going to cast it into the sea, but there was light coming from it. I looked inside, and instead of the tiny photo of my mom and me that I had worked inside, I saw somewhere I knew and a voice asked if I wanted to go home, a voice that called me Thomas. True Thomas, Isabel said. I thought so. You told us who you were through your story of the Laidly Worm, but what indication did I ever give you that I was Thomas the Rhymer? Jack asked incredulously. For a hard-headed programmer, you're away with the fairies far too easily and often. And to your credit, you're rubbish at lying, Isabel said. True that, Diarmid laughed. She's got you there, lad. And so you see, the tinker's dam so spelled was exactly right. I am the tinker, and I have come to hold back the tide she would unleash to drown the world. Turning to Lucas, Diar's tone grew grave as he said, She'll be after you next, Lucas. Take this. He swirled his closed fist like a magician and opened it, revealing a chain with two pendants, a tiny lidded silver bucket, and a gold and silver spindle. Lucas blinked in amazement. From my stories, he began, taking the proffered chain and slipping it over his head. Of course. Did you think only wayward characters leaked out? The maid of the Copper Mountain is one thing, but Nightingale the robber was Frankly, not your best idea. But we'll sort him out later, Diarmid said. And yes, the fish are in the bucket. You'll be housed, fed, hidden, and have transport should you need it, and we'll be watching too. Do you know any tales about luck? Yes, Lucas said, but they're Russian, so the luck is mostly bad. Do you think you can take the luck in a tale and change it? Placing his hand protectively over the magic pendants now around his neck under his clothes, Lucas said, I can try. When they gathered to hear Lucas's story, he described them as seated around a simple table with bread and salt and some traditional dishes. By each place was a little bundle of cloth. Welcome, everyone. Tonight my story is about changing one's luck. Once there was a Tsarevna. You would think that such a person, high-born as she was, would have the best luck in the world. But in fact, 
this princess had never needed her luck, and so she had never paid it any mind. Since every person is born with some kind of luck, to ignore it is not a wise course of action. The princess led a very sheltered life, but one day she asked her father, the Tsar, if she might go for a walk under the close escort of all the ladies of the court, including her ladies-in-waiting, maids, and nurses. The Tsar agreed, thinking that a group of women altogether couldn't get into that much trouble, the tongues on some of the older ones especially being sharp enough to repel an, any enemy as if they had been trained swordsmen. The princess went out at the head of her happily chattering entourage. They walked through the gardens, into the woods, and down to the sea. A beautiful little boat that shone like a pearl with silver and golden sails was beached on the shore. There was only room for one. The Tsarevna wondered whether it was a magic boat, whether it might expand to accommodate her companions. She quickly stepped inside, but then the little boat pushed itself into the tide and the princess sailed away, her companions calling frantically after her, abandoned on the shore. The Tsar searched anxiously everywhere for his daughter, but everyone said she must have sailed beyond the edge of the world. In fact, the boat sailed quickly, skimming over the waves and landing her on the shore of a faraway land. The princess disembarked and walked until she found a well with a tall tree next to it. She climbed into the branches and hid herself to watch and think about what to do next. There was an old and powerful witch in this land, and she had a daughter who was as unremarkable in her abilities and intelligence as she was plain. Her mother sent her to fetch water, and when she looked into the well, she saw the Tsarevna's lovely face in the reflection as she peered down from the tree into the well. Look how pretty I am, the witch's daughter cried, dropping her buckets and running back for her mother. The old witch followed the foolishly prattling girl, annoyed that she hadn't brought water back with her. When they reached the well, the daughter said, Look at my reflection, mother. I'm beautiful. The witch looked into the well, then critically back at her daughter. Then she heard rustling and looked up, seeing the princess trying to hide herself in the branches. Come down, the witch ordered, sighing at the foolishness of her own offspring. The old witch took the princess in and forced her to work, discovering that the girl was very skilled at sewing and embroidery. She made embroidered towels. These the witch sold in the market for far more money than she got for her potions and spells. One day, the young Tsar of that land proclaimed that he was looking for someone to embroider jewels into his crown. If an old woman does this work most to my liking, she will be my grandmother. If a woman the age of my mother works this art, she will be my aunt. If a young woman my age undertakes this task successfully, she will be my wife. The old witch decided she'd have the princess do the work, and then her own daughter would marry the Tsar. The princess began to embroider the crown. She did splendid work, and soon the crown was all but finished except for the largest pearl that would adorn the center of the Tsar's forehead. Just as she was about to reach for this precious ornament, a raven came and flew away with the priceless jewel in its beak.
The Tsar was convinced that the seamstress was a thief. Guards were sent to the home of the witch, who pleaded, It wasn't my daughter, but this good-for-nothing wretch I took in out of the kindness of my heart. Take her to the town square and beat her senseless. The Tsarevna was trussed up and dragged away. Even in her greatly reduced state, she was so lovely that an old peasant couple came forward and begged the Tsar, Please don't have her beaten. We will take her and look after her as our own child. The Tsar was merciful, and the unknown Tsarevna was released into the old couple's care. She soon proved a grateful and hard-working addition to the family, and the old couple loved her dearly. By and by, the old man's name day arrived. As he and his wife prepared for church, he said to the girl, Bake and cook and set out bread and salt and see what my luck this day might bring me. The girl did as he asked, and when all was ready, she called out, Grandfather's luck, come share bread and salt and the best we have at our table. Soon a fine carriage and horses pulled up and a beautiful woman, resplendent in silver brocade, alighted and entered the house. She partook of the Tsarevna's offering and blessed the house. No matter how much she ate and drank, the meal was not diminished. When she was done, she rose and left a heap of silver coins on the table before departing. When the old couple returned home, the princess said that grandfather's luck had indeed gifted him with good fortune. Some time later, it was the old woman's name day, and as they prepared to go to church, the princess's adopted grandmother bid her prepare for a visit from her luck in the same way. While they attended the service, the old woman's luck came in a golden carriage. She was even more finely arrayed, and she left a small chest of gold coins on the table. The old couple were thrilled with their good fortune. Soon it was the girl's name day. The old couple prepared for church as before, but the old woman took the girl aside and said, You are young, my dear, and don't know what shape your luck is in. Prepare as before, but whatever you do, don't let your luck leave without giving you something. The princess made all ready and bid her luck come join her at table. A decrepit, hideously ugly crone entered haltingly on foot, dressed in rags and leering greedily about the table. She gobbled up all the fine food and even ate the last of the bread and salt, and unlike the good luck of the old couple, the princess's luck did not replenish anything. There would be nothing to share with her dear foster parents when they came home, not one crumb. The nasty glutton got up to leave. Wait, cried the princess. You have to give me something. The hag took out three bundles of rags, put them on the table, and left without a word or a backward glance. When the old couple returned home, the girl showed the pitiful tokens her luck had left her. Two bundles seemed to be just rags. The third held a golden hook and eye, as for a shirt or jacket. These are worth keeping, my dear, the old woman said, to see what else they bring you. Not long after, the Tsar announced that another hook and eye, exactly matching those that he had, were needed for his ceremonial kaftan. The others had been found by luck, 
and that's how he meant to find the last to complete his garment. It was to be his wedding and coronation coat, and therefore luck was an important element in its construction. Though they knew it meant losing her, the good old couple encouraged their beloved foster daughter to go to the capital to present the golden hook and eye her miserly luck had bestowed upon her. It might be exactly what the Tsar needs, they cried. The princess looked at the two other bundles of rags she'd been given more closely. One opened up into several meters of the finest silks, velvets, and brocades, while the other unraveled into skeins of excellent thread and embroidery floss. The talented Sarevna worked up traveling clothes and a wedding trousseau. When all was ready, she said farewell and made her way to the royal court. When she presented her golden hook and eye to the Tsar, it was an exact match. It could have been made for my garment as you are for me. The Tsar was delighted and the happy couple were soon married and crowned Tsar and Tsarina over the land to great rejoicing. Not long after, they were walking near the shore when a raven dropped a huge, perfectly formed pearl into the princess's hand. This was to be the chief jewel in your crown, my beloved, but that raven flew off with it. I was wrongly accused of theft by the witch I had been made to live with. She had me embroider your crown, but planned to give you her daughter to marry. The Tsar shivered in distaste. I'm glad that didn't happen, since you were the only jewel I could ever want. Let the pearl return to its home. He threw it into the water, where it became a pearly boat with silver and gold sails, big enough for two. The Tsar and his bride stepped inside and were borne back to her kingdom, where they were received by her astonished father with all ceremony, who blessed his luck as best of all. The Decameron shuffled, King of Hearts. Will you change your luck, pilot, or will it just run out? Baba Yaga queried. You forgot that the witch in that tale and her daughter came to a bad end. Death, she thought. Check. Displacement? Before Lucas had time to respond, the back doors of his van swung wide open. Several faces peered in, shadowy in the gathering gloom of evening. Lucas, out of the van, mate, one said. Baba Yaga grinned to herself. Displacement. Check. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council. <laughs>